he's been. Um, but he's done a nice job. Craig Hoffman. That's the journalists in us, Michael. We don't want to assume. We want to find out. The Hoffman Show. Your mom says she loves you. Get two sources. On the Team 980 and the Odyssey app. Hour two on a Monday. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. Always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We go around the NFL coming up at 530 uh, also, just perusing more quotes from the day, trying to catch up on everything. You know, John Allen had some interesting stuff to say on the junkies. We might have to dive into that a little bit later as well. It's like interesting in that he said it out loud, but not interesting remotely in what he said. We'll explain later on in the show. Right now, though, it is time on a Monday for Not My Beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. Michael Phillips was there yesterday. I know because I saw him with my own eyes and everything. Michael, what's up, buddy? And it was great to see you too, Craig Hoffman. I, uh, I think, I think I saw you like early in the first quarter, and was like, "Well, all right, this is over. I guess uh, do we go home now? Do we beat the traffic? What do we do?" Uh, I'm glad we stayed though. Uh, hot take: It's fun to watch Tyreek Hill. He's pretty good. Yeah, it's fun to watch unless you're the DB that's supposed to be on the other side of him. Ooh, that's um, boy. That's that's a difficult task, uh, it sure seems. I will say, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to the, the San Francisco game. Um, I just, <laughs> I, so, like, for those that don't know, I do the, pre, like, everyone at this point should know. We're 14 weeks into this. Like, we do the pregame show. Uh, it's it's me and Logan. We, we do it from Tap Sports Bar at MGM National Harbor. It's a delightful time. Uh, many of the people who I wind up sitting with in the press box listen on the way in. I know because they text me. Hey, that was a good show. Or like, I don't hear from them. And I guess it was a bad one. Anyway, the point is I don't get to FedEx field till like mid first quarter. And I think it was 17, nothing when I got there yesterday, Michael, that was, it was not, it didn't feel like I needed to be there. It, it felt better. I, you'd rather be doing the pregame show than the postgame show uh, on a day. That, like that. Is, that is, yeah, that is, <clears throat> that is very true. I'll say this is going to be tougher and tougher to do the pregame show each, each week here progressively. Cause, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued by the next two because they're both winnable, uh, the Rams and the Jets, not to suggest they will win, just those are games they could win. The last two, if the Niners and Cowboys come to play, of course they won't win. Depends on what's on the line there, Week 18 against the Cowboys. But I'm intrigued by the next two uh, coming off the bye. You certainly got the chance to show a little fight uh, in those next couple of games, but those are also games they could very easily lose by 20. Right. So besides a little fight, because that would be cool. Uh, what do you What do you think legitimately is still up for evaluation over the next four weeks, and and what things perhaps that were up for evaluation have you made your mind up on? Well, four weeks is a lot of time, right? And and so if Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell really dominate these four weeks, that would be enough time to change opinions and change minds. It's not like a one-week-18 performance. That's obviously not enough to do it. You can't do what he did against the Cowboys last year, and everybody be like, all right, everything's good. Let's go into the offseason. Like, it's got to be a sustained thing for a few weeks. Um, I am curious about this Brian Robinson injury, what that potentially means for Chris Rodriguez in terms of getting some carries, getting a chance to 
earn his spot and, and prove his worth with the new regime. I think this could be a pretty important few weeks for him. Uh, but I keep coming back to Eric Bieniemy uh, and keep coming back to Sam Howell. Those are the main two things I'm watching here down the stretch. And, you know, I, I don't know if you saw this. Ron Rivera, I guess, told the halftime reporter from Fox uh, or the sideline reporter at halftime, we've just got to run the ball more, which I thought was a bit of a misread of a game that was 30-7 to at the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious how the offense develops over the last four weeks. It's, it's, a lot, it's a long time. It's a lot of football. I'm working hard not to, not to make up my mind about stuff just because of how long of a period of time it is. I hear you, but my mind's made up on Biennemi. I'm good. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm good. And I actually think something Rivera said today is pretty damning of him and kind of his general approach to this whole four years, but also of Eric. And, you know, he was asked about, uh, and I don't know whether you were on the, uh, on the, on the Zoom yep. today or not, but it was the question where he's asked about retrofitting the offense to KC or, or just like doing something that works here. And basically it's like, you know, do you think that Eric has found something that works for these playmakers in this group? Or is he just trying to run where they ran in KC? And Ron's like, well, I, I, I think we're trying to figure that out. And I'm like, it's week 14. Yeah. You're four and nine. Like, I don't, I know that there is a process and there's growth and development and like, I'm King nuance over here. So like, no one's got to preach to me that stuff doesn't happen instantaneously, but the season started in September, Michael. And if, if you couldn't get it better by now, I tend to think that's not in your bag ever, or at least not in a, in a timeline that can win you real NFL football games. Yeah, the play that didn't work for me yesterday was the pick six. Obviously, I put six points on the board to the other team, so that's an easy pick. But yeah, bold, bold it, take on your on its surface there. Hey, I, that pick six, <laughs> I really didn't like that for our team. <laughs> you know, they were tipping their hands so hard, though. It shows an offense that's not self-scouting, that's not aware of its own tendencies, um, that's giving away a play to a degree where the other guy is just so casual about sauntering over, grabbing the ball, and taking it the rest of the way in. And, and Craig, I, I definitely agree with you. If I had to turn in the card today, it would be a no for Eric Bieniemy. Is there anything he could show you in the, in the last four that would make you change your mind? Or you just feel like, man, you know, think things are so bleak now, that's a no. I mean, I guess if they average 40 a game over the next yeah. four weeks, but it's also like, then why did it take that long? Like, the, some of the answers seem so evident and I think, you know, my headline for the show to an extent, certainly my headline for the, the opening segment today, Michael, was that Mike McDaniels exposed Eric Bieniemy more than he did Ron Rivera yesterday. Because you watch mm. how Miami does it, and you're like, oh, that's what good looks like. And all, all they run in Washington this year is a West Coast versus Eric Coriel version of what they ran last year. It, you know, the frustrating part of it all is you do feel like the parts are better than the whole. Um, at least I still feel that way. Like I, Terry McLaurin, zero yards yesterday. Terry McLaurin's better than zero yards. Um, I, I still like Brian Robinson. Uh, I, obviously, I was not sold on this offensive line at any time. But w- what I wrote in the Washington Times on, on Monday was, there, you know, Sam Howell might be good and Sam Howell might be bad. How can you know? How, how can you fairly evaluate him off of this that we've seen? And I do think the I do think the evaluation process turns now, and I think in a lot of ways Sam Howell gets to play for his future. Um, I know that sounds weird and dark with four weeks left to go, but you, you've got a situation where they're the number four draft pick right now. There's going to be some really good quarterbacks up there in the top five. Um, 
you need to win a couple games. You, Sam Howell, need to win a couple games so that Washington picks nine or ten. And the, and the, the question is, which offensive lineman do they get? Which tight end do they get? Which skill player do they get? Not should they take a quarterback. If the conversation is should they take a quarterback, you've kind of already lost. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too. I hadn't really thought of kind of the the chess game, if you will. If Sam can play them out of top five range, then it actually helps him potentially have a future here. Um, But to me, it comes down to do you love probably Jaden Daniels out of LSU? But, you know, maybe there's another quarterback that emerges in the process when you get deeper and, you know, when everyone gets deeper into the tape and uh, the 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 consensus changes around who QB three is. I assume Williams will be one. Drake may will be QB two, assuming both those guys come out. Uh, and then, and then Jaden Daniels seems like the most popular guy is three right now. And especially cause they're going to have a top 10 pick plus that bears pick in the second round. I feel like they could go like if they, if they love Daniels and we, again, we don't know who they is yet. Like, they hasn't yeah. been hired. Um, so we don't know who this new GM and who the yeah. scouts and, and whoever is um, outside of whatever Eugene Chen and, and his data thinks. Um, but if they love Jaden Daniels, you have to go take him. If you, like, love, love him. If you don't, I, I think what's so interesting is the crapshoot nature of young quarterbacks where you look at Howell and realistically he's the third best guy over the last couple of years unless you want to put Kenny Pickett ahead of him. You know, I, I think you, you bring up a great point here, which is if they love somebody, you have to allow them to go get that person, uh, which is kind of an obvious statement at face value, right? But let's rewind. Jay Gruden comes in with the mandate, fix Robert, fix RG3. You know, and, and then Ron comes in, and, and Ron was given autonomy over that first draft, but it was understood who the owner wanted to be quarterback. And it was understood that, that he was supposed to, you know, put in some time with Dwayne Haskins. You know, that, that was not, not a condition of taking the job, but it was very much understood that he was there and the owner wanted him to be the star of the future. It is so important they do not repeat that mistake again, that the new group is told, anybody you want, you can go get. Anybody you want to get rid of, you can get rid of. We'll deal with the fallout. I, I just think that's so important to give them that fresh slate, give them that opportunity to say, we want you to go scout and feel good. And look, no, nobody's going to like hearing this. Nobody's going to like hearing this. If you're, if you're driving around, just, just buckle up, grab the steering, steering wheel. You're not going to like hearing this. If they want to kick the can to 25, they should be allowed to kick the can to 25. They should Ooh. be allowed to trade those draft picks for a lot of draft picks next year and ride it out with Sam Howell for a year and see how they feel and have the ammunition in 25 to do what they need to do. Nobody wants to hear that, but – if this group doesn't fall in love with a quarterback and, and doesn't love and doesn't think they love Sam Howell either, they should be allowed to trade that top pick or trade those second round picks and get some ammunition for next year to, to go get it in twenty five. So I'm gonna I'm gonna present to you three options. I want you to rank them in order of like what you think well, I guess not what you think is best, but like likeliness i don't know rank them based off your your heart and your feelings michael um because i'll do my best clearly clearly there's a there's a correct order here um but whatever <laughs> um the three scenarios are sam plays really well the last four games it's obvious he's the guy new new people come in agree and you bolster the roster around him with those picks uh so you your or option number two is you love 
insert quarterback here and he's available for you whether you have to go up and get him or you you can dra- draft him at your natural position which might be third or fourth um then option three would be you're not really sure about sam uh but you're not really sure about the the draft quarterback situation either mm-hmm. and you kick can down the road to 25 yeah. but you you do the roster bolstering and find out with sam like how good do you feel about each of those scenarios Yep. I, I, I feel great about all three of those scenarios, right? That's, that's, that's my, that's my thing. And, and, you know, if you were to rank them, number one, of course, is, is that Sam's the guy, right? Like that, that is obviously the easiest for everybody. Likelihood of that happening less than 30%. Um, I don't know. It's not zero. Um, it's not 50 I want to be fair. I want to be fair to Sam, and I want to be fair to the hand he's been dealt. There's a chance he's the guy, um, and there's a chance he plays well down the stretch, comes back from the bye, and, and plays really well. Uh, I think 30 is generous, but I'm, I'm going to give that to him, that, that there's, there is a 30% chance that Sam Howell is the guy. He's on the roster, and that makes everything else easy. But that means there's a 70% chance he's not, which means we need to be doing this planning exercise. Um, part of me loves the idea of kicking the can down the road conceptually because you get your scouts in the building for a year doing their scouting at all the college games, talking to all the people. Um, I don't love it from a fan perspective. I don't love it from an I host a radio show perspective. That, that part's not good. Um, but it, if you want to give me percent chances this team is a legit contender by 26. I think it's more than 50%. I think this is a smart group of people who are going to do things the right way. Whichever way they go, I think they're going to end up on a team that is built for the long haul. Yeah, uh, Michael Phillips with us. Of course, 910 The Fan in Richmond, uh, The Washington Times as well. You can read his work there. I, I really, like, I'm so in on this kick the can down the road thing as an idea, not necessarily as a strategy. Obviously, you know, getting it figured out and having an awesome team next year would be, well, you know, awesome. Um, but I just hadn't done the mental exercise yet. But I, I'm so intrigued in finding out with Sam. Like, what happens if you spend a lot of money in free, yeah. $25 million on a left tackle? Yeah. Um, and you go out and you, I don't even know who's available, but you go get a stud left tackle and then you draft another two offensive linemen and use that first round pick on the best, you know, whatever in the draft, whether it's, whether it is a tackle, uh, maybe you acquire the old lineman that way, whether it's a, a stud tight end, Brock Bowers or someone else, whether it is, you know, a stud uh, defensive end to go replace Montez Sweat. Uh, you, you know, you got that pick. Sweet. We'll upgrade on Montez Sweat. We'll go get the the next. Uh, there's got to be another Bosa brother somewhere. Go find him. Um, <laughs> and like the idea of doing that and letting a new coach come in and hopefully set up a system that is more quarterback friendly and have a roster that is more quarterback friendly. Like uh, to me, there's unless again, unless you love love one of these young quarterbacks in this draft. To me, that's actually worth it with the, you know, now three minutes that I've been thinking about this to kind of mess around and find out. Because the worst case scenario is you find out it's not Sam, but you've you've upgraded the roster and the next QB in is someone that you can you can win with. I guess the risk would be how often are you going to be picking in the top 10? Like is is if you bolster this roster and have a good system, are you going to wind up picking 15 again and then you've missed your opportunity like they have so many times before? Well, that, that's why Kyle took Trey Lance when he did, right? That's the explanation you've always heard out of there was they felt like it was their last opportunity before they got good 
to potentially get a top three quarterback. So they owed it to themselves to go do that because they wouldn't get that opportunity again. It didn't pan out, but you can certainly understand that logic. Now they had been there for a little while, so it's not quite an apples to apples to this situation, but, but to carry out the metaphor, if, if Sam Howell is a quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers right now, that team would be every bit as good as it is with Brock Purdy. I'm just going to say it. They would be. Sam Howell has all the, the – he's got everything Brock Purdy's got. And with that roster, I think he could manage it well. So I, I think it's absolutely worthwhile to upgrade the roster, see what Sam can do with an upgraded roster, and, and give him that opportunity to succeed because if the guy's in the building – it sure does save you a lot of time on a lot of other things. Michael Phillips, MP on the mic, 10 a.m. to noon on 910 The Fan in Richmond. All right, uh, real quick, total gear switch for you because we're not going to get this in the show uh, otherwise today, but you're a huge college football guy. This college football playoff thing is a disastrous mess. What do you make of Florida State being left out, undefeated ACC champion? Yes, they lost their quarterback, but they didn't lose a game in the ACC, and they are not in the playoff. That seems bananas. Yeah, thank you for teeing me up, and I completely agree with you. There, there's this, like they, they can say whatever they want to say. They killed the ACC yesterday, right? There is now no reason why Florida State and Clemson should stay in that conference. There is no reason why the better Big 12 schools should stay in that conference. They've made the statement, we are going to favor the big boys, and they copped out to a large degree too, Craig, and that's what bothers me too because they had a tough decision to make, right? You had three teams that belong in the college football playoff, Washington, Michigan, and Florida State. Those three teams definitively belong. Florida State met every criteria, undefeated, scheduled really hard in non-conference, went on the road and played at Florida. Neutral site against LSU won both those games. That's everything they ask you to do. Won a conference title without their quarterback, by the way, against a really, really good Louisville defense. They did everything you asked them to do. They were deserving. So you had three teams in. You had to make a tough decision, by the way, and it was a tough decision. Bama was, on paper, the team you should have taken. They were better at the end of the year. You, you need to take an SEC team because it's a power conference, but Texas beat them. Uh, you know, Texas beat them in Bama earlier in the year, and it's hard to ignore that as well. That's a tough decision, and I said in the lead-up, I don't envy the committee for having to make that decision between Florida and Texas. It's a, or between Alabama and Texas. It's a really tough decision. They copped out. They copped out by taking Florida State instead, and it made me unhappy. So your four would have been what? I think I would have taken Alabama and just said, hey, look, it's the SEC. They produce the champion every year. They just beat Georgia. They're a different team than they were when they lost to Texas. We're very sorry to Texas, but that game was a long time ago. And because of that, we got to take Alabama over Texas. But I, I think there were three indisputable selections, and those were Michigan, Washington, and Florida State. They went undefeated in power conferences. They scheduled hard. They played good games. They won their conference titles. There was no grounds to disqualify any of them other than, hey, we've got a tough decision and we don't want to make somebody unhappy. Right. Uh, to me, it just, again, highlights how stupid the system is. Like you cut, you got the cutoff at four when you got five power conferences. That's inherently going to cause mm-hmm. a problem. And like mm-hmm. it's always to me been about like what's the cutoff, right? And if you want to make the cutoff at one two, in some ways that's easier. Although you're really screwing yourself if there's three really good teams and there was I don't remember what year it was, but there was like three undefeated teams in the BCS era, and everyone was like, "Oh, this is a problem." Um, Auburn, 
Auburn that's played right. the Natty that year. Yep. Yeah, that that's right. That it was that it was like 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. Um, but once you get lower down, do you get a team that's not as like is the eighth best team in the country uh, as deserving as the first team? No, by nature, that's how it works. But if you're if you're on the line between eight and nine, and you wind up being nine, can you be pissed at the that they pick number eight? Sure, but. By the same token, if you had been number three and you definitely could have done something to be number three, then it's not a problem. And so it, it just comes down to like where that line is. And the, the, the farther down you get, the more teams you include, the less gripes the teams that get left out get to have. And this system with just four, especially when you've got five power conferences to begin with, nevertheless, the occasional non-power five team or, you know, God forbid there's two good teams in one conference. I mean, Georgia's been number one for two straight years and they yeah. get left out because they lose the SEC title game to an awesome Bama team. That doesn't seem right either. And it just highlights how silly this entire thing is. I love eight as a number. It gives you the five conference champions. Everybody wants Oh, it's so important to protect these conference championship games. Fine, it, it does that. It gives you one small school, which is very important to me, that you include a small school in this process, and then two wild cards so you can swoop up uh, at Georgia or whatever. The thing I'm worried about when we go to 12, Craig, Ohio State played Michigan in a game that was awesome, right? Like, the stakes were so high. The pageantry was great. The play was great on both sides. I loved it. Georgia played Bama last weekend. Such a good game, and everybody knew the loser was out. Like, it was a really good game because of that. When Ohio State plays Michigan next year, it's not going to mean that. They're both going to be in the playoffs. If Georgia plays Alabama next year, similar situations, it's not going to mean that. They'll both be in the playoffs. I worry that in the move to 12, we've, we've highly diluted what makes college football great. I 100% agree. Eight's the right number. If, you, if you're the ninth best team and you have a gripe about not getting to compete for the national championship – Unless there's nine undefeateds in some year, which I don't even think is possible because, you know, the team. <laughs> then again, then again, with all these conferences, so many teams are not going to play other teams in conferences. They're going to have like three, three, uh, you know, big 100, uh, 102 teams, you know, whatever number of people are in that conference now, um, you know, undefeated. But point is like, yeah, it's it's very ridiculous. Uh, eight's the right number. And as usual, uh, college college sports administrators, uh, whether it's at the NCA, whether it's at the schools, whether it's the conferences, they can't get it right. I don't understand how these people all have their jobs. They're all so bad at them. <laughs> and, and the other problem with 12 and the conference title games is, in a lot of ways, that's not 12, that's 16, which is an even right. bigger number and even more ridiculous. That is also true. Uh, for more coverage of the ridiculous, this ridiculous and, well, other ridiculous, MP on the mic, 10 a.m. to noon. How about that for a promo? Cut that. You know, I love just air it, that. Dude, air that down you're there. Crushing it uh, just, hop in with a heat check. Let's go. I'm uh, I'm trying my best here. We're just getting through this week. Uh, it's gonna be. It's, we cover the the commanders and the wizards, Michael. We get it in where we can. Anyway, the point is, MP on the mic is 10 a.m. to noon on 910 The Fan in Richmond, which, lucky enough for you, you don't have to drive all the way to Richmond to hear. You can just tune on the free Odyssey app and check that out. Or if you are traveling down I-95 for any part of your holidays, make sure you check Michael out if you're driving through between the hours of 10 a.m. and noon. And while you're not driving, read him in the Washington Times. All right. We'll see you. Uh, well, I, I, Michael, are we just going to do 15 minutes of bits next Monday? Or are we going to skip a week? What are we going to do on Monday? I, I think we need to do 15 minutes of bits. There'll be, uh, I, I haven't heard yet. I, I don't think they'll be at the facility. I think that'll be Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, there's always something to talk about. We'll, uh, we'll do some wackies. It'll be good. Yeah. Ron speaks again on Monday. We'll, we'll see what yeah. we can come up with. All right. So we'll talk to Michael next Monday. All right. Thank you, sir. Hey.
See ya. All right, Michael Phillips, everybody, with us on the Hoffman Show. What a delight he is. Uh, Speaking of delights, Anthony and I go around the NFL next.